in the middle of the first century, the Lord's church was still very much an infant church. There were a number of congregations that had been established in various locations, but they were facing some real challenges. They were facing some very difficult situations that were almost beyond their ability to handle. And so the Lord inspired the Apostle Paul to write letters to these churches. He wrote four letters from a Roman prison. He wrote the church at Ephesus, the church at Colossae. He wrote the church at Philippi and also the individual Philemon. He was trying to warn the churches with regards to some of the problems that they were going to encounter. Last Sunday morning, we studied from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 23, and we observed that we should not let someone cheat us out of our reward. And then we noticed that Paul gave some caution with regards to some ceremonialism and then some cultic practices. This morning, what I would like to do is to focus again on verses 20 through 23 with the idea in mind of measuring our spirituality. To begin with, I'm going to do as I have each week to begin with some questions. The first question is, are you more spiritual this year than you were last year? You answer that in your own mind. How would you measure your level of spirituality? The truth is that many of us meet people who exhibit a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, they just wear it on their sleeve. They're the kind of people when you meet them, you think, they really have to be the most spiritual people in the world. In the first century, many of these people walked around with long robes on and they had tassels on the ends of their garments. Many of them were trying to follow some Old Testament practices, and because of that, they had developed this practice of putting a little box on their forehead, and in that box they had Scripture. And they had made those boxes really, really large. Others had put one on their arm to try to illustrate their spirituality. Many of these people would go to the street corners and lead real long prayers to let people think that they were spiritual. Others would take the money they had and then would go to the temple and they would go to the places where people were in need and they would exhibit that. But how do you measure spirituality? Would you say that you're more spiritual this year than you were last year? Let me go through some possibilities with you. What about feelings? Do you feel more spiritual than you did? Do you have some enthusiasm you didn't have? Well, you know, there's a problem there. In Romans chapter 10... Paul said about his brethren according to the flesh, he says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. You have people who are enthusiastic. They really have a good feeling about themselves, but that's not 
completely the measure. What about facts? What do you know? Do you study your Bible daily? If you are, are you gathering information? Can you tell me how many major prophets and how many minor prophets there are? Can you, for instance, be able to quote Scripture that you weren't able to quote last year? So the problem is sometimes there are many people who know the facts. They lack that enthusiasm. They also lack any commitment. And you've known people who have known the way of righteousness, but they turn from that holy commandment and they've gone back into the ways of the world. What about fidelity or loyalty? You know, it's a lot like the feelings. You can have some people who are loyal, but they can be loyally wrong. The Apostle Paul was probably the most loyal man in serving the Lord in the first century. And Paul would say to his Jewish brethren, I have lived in good conscience before God until this day, Acts 23, verse 1. See, that's not really the full measure Someone says, well, I know what it is. It's faith. It's believing and trusting in God. But James chapter 2 tells us about a man who says that he has faith and does not have works. He asks the question, can that faith save him? Now you're thoroughly confused. You're saying, which one is it? There needs to be a number D or E, all of the above. You have to have people who have the right enthusiasm, the right feelings. Don't minimize that. That's important. Having the right attitude, the right spirit. But you also have to have the truth. You know, John 4, 24 says, Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But you also must be loyal to the Lord, being guided by truth. And then you have to believe in God and trust Him and follow what He says. But you see what this does is this forces us to think about how do I measure my spirituality, my faith, my religion. And I'd suggest to you that in Colossians 2 verses 20 through 23, Paul is going to look at the Colossians and say, don't let anybody judge you by false standard of spirituality. So here's what we're going to do. In verse 20, we're going to look at the rudiments of the world. In verses 21 and 22, we will look at the regulations of men. And then verse 23, we will look at a religion of the will. So let's begin studying this passage again now. Let's look at verse 20 specifically. Paul says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? I want to key on those words, basic principles. Because if you are reading in your Bible and you're reading from the King James or an American Standard, you will notice that the word that is translated basic principles is there translated rudiments. This word means the most basic building blocks. 
you were talking about education, you would say this is the ABCs. You're talking about the very most atomic particles if you're talking about basic elements. Let me take you through the Bible and show you how this is used. It's just used in a few places. If you go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 4, and I will tell you when you go to Galatians chapter 4, you get to verse 2, he's talking about the time when we were children. He said we were under tutors. We were under people who schooled us, if you will, schoolmasters. And he says in verse 3, even so when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, you may not fully grasp what Paul's talking about. You get on down to verse 8, and he's talking about that at that time, he said you were following after them that were not gods at all. And then verse 9, But now after you have known God, or rather been known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. The word elements in both of those is the same word for rudiments. And what Paul is saying in Galatians 4, and according to verse 8, he's got to be talking to pagans, these ones who have come out of this worship of those which are not gods at all, he's saying, why do you want to go back to live under these basic principles, these rudiments of the world? In other words, it's the very lowest common denominator of mankind. Let me carry a little bit further. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, the writer there is talking about the Melchizedek priesthood. A lot of people weren't understanding him, that he was reasoning over their heads. And the reason why he was reasoning over their heads was because they hadn't studied, they didn't learn. And he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. The word first principles, same Greek word is translated elements in Galatians 4 and basic principles in Colossians chapter 2 and means rudiments. The basic first principles. You see he's talking about when you become a Christian, yes, you start out on milk. But once you grow as a Christian, you ought to be able to listen to and absorb and understand much more complex and difficult topics. And he says, you still need somebody to teach you, again, the first principles. Let me give you a third illustration. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 Peter is addressing the promise of God and his promise of coming again. Verse 9, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, now notice carefully, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. And both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens being dissolved being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. The word elements here just talks about those building blocks of this physical universe. You know, some of us had to learn that periodic table of charts.
That's it. The very elements out of which this world is composed will be burned up, will be consumed. Now, let's try to put all this together. He says the basic principles or the rudiments of the world. In this context, he's talking about the very basic ideas that the world is guided by. And he says it's not according to Christ. Go back to verse 8 with me. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. These are people guided by the world. They're letting the world determine their level of spirituality. He says that you have died to the basic principles of the world. You know, that same thought is found in Galatians 6.14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Romans 6.6, 6, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Paul's picture is here, you become a Christian. Don't let the world determine your spirituality. Now, what does that really mean, to die to the rudiments of the world? Well, number one, it means that I no longer love the world. Perhaps the best commentary on this passage, and if you want to write it in the margin of your Bible, is 1 John 2, 15-17. And there John says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and now he gets to these rudiments, these basic principles, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in its lust. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What's Paul trying to say? What's John trying to say? The world operates by these spiritual principles. Does it feel good? Does it look good? Does it make me happy? It means that one will not be controlled by the fleshly, animalistic desires. Now, if you don't understand what that means, let me explain to you. Look at Hollywood. You just live like the animals live. Mate with whomever you choose to mate. Galatians 5.24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In Ephesians 2, 3, he says, Among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and the fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. That's the way they live. So very first thing, he's saying don't let your spirituality be determined by the rudiments of the world. Number two, let's look at verses 22 and, or 21 and 22 now. Do not touch, do not taste, 
do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the doctrines and the commandments or according to the commandments and doctrines of men. That's a question based upon what he had said in verse 20. You have to put verse 20 there and then using an ellipsis here, why do you subject yourself to regulations? What are regulations? They're rules. They're a standard. And he's saying, why do you allow others to determine your standard of behavior and conduct and spirituality? In verse 23, he says, this is according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. That is, some man somewhere decided these are the rules that you're going to have to keep. Sometimes we don't understand the seriousness of letting ourselves be guided by men's commands. In Titus chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Now notice this last phrase, who turn from the truth. It's accurate to say that if I accept the commandments of men that I am now turning from the truth. No man can serve two masters. Jesus said that. Either I am going to follow God and he's going to be my leader, or I'm going to follow men and I can't do both. There's some people trying to decide right now in Vatican City who's going to be the next leader of the Roman Catholic Church. It is the Roman Catholic Church. Not the Lord's church. Because the Lord's not the head of it. They're trying to select a new leader of it. But these must have had some regulations that related to dietary restrictions. When he says, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. I want you to think with me a little bit about this. And think about the commandments of men. In Acts chapter 10, really picking up about verse 13, Peter has gone up to the rooftop and he is going through a vision where there's a great sheet being let down from heaven. And on that sheet, in his vision, are all kinds of four-footed beasts, clean and unclean animals. And the Lord tells Peter to rise, kill, and eat. Peter's response in verse 13, or verse 14, Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Do you know that in the first century there were people who said you can only eat this and you can't eat that. They had forbidden 
made a law. If you're a Gentile, you can't eat pork. In fact, today, you go to Jerusalem, you go to a kosher hotel, you try to get some bacon and see what you find. In fact, not only that, you try to find milk and meat being served at the same meal. People still live by these dietary laws. Never mind the fact that the Old Testament law was done away in Christ. In fact, did we not study about even last week? Let no man judge you in respect of meat, drink, feast day, Sabbaths. But there's also the fact of the handling. In fact, Jesus had to face a man-made law that said you have got to wash your hands in a certain way before you can eat. This is not about cleanliness, folks. This is not saying, okay, I've been out working in the yard and I've got dirt on my hands and need to wash off the dirt. No, this is washing the Gentile off. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines, now notice what they, the commandments of men, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. Like in Luke eleven thirty-eight, When the Pharisees saw it, they marveled that he did not first wa- had not first washed before dinner. Jesus was not going to bow and submit to some man's command that said, you've got to wash in this way or you can't be proper before God. Not only was it what they ate, with what hands they ate, but with whom they ate. If you go to Galatians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, Paul says, Now when Peter came to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because... He was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. You see what happens? You have people who were from the circumcision, the Jewish people who came, and Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Now he won't eat with them. Why? He's been a hypocrite, but why? He was letting someone else determine his faith, his religion, his spirituality. He was walking by a man's command. Who do we let dictate what we do, and who do we let judge our spirituality? Is it the world and its basic reasonings? Is it other men and their commands and their rules and their regulations? Okay, number three. Let's look at verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. 
but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. I want to key on that word religion. The word religion, I'm talking about the original word in the, the Bible, is found in three different contexts. And I think it's worthy of just briefly touching base on each one of those. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 5, when Paul is appearing before Festus and Agrippa, he's trying to explain what kind of religion he has. And so he says, They knew me from the first, if they are willing to testify, that according to the straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul's religion, he says, was that of Judaism, he says. But if you really want to be more specific, he said the religion of which I was a part of was a Pharisee. And notice now the past tense was versus is. The second context is found in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. And there James writes, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Your religion, your devotion, your worship, let me give you the third context, the very place where we're studying. If you go back up to verse, or you go to verse 18, which was a part of our study last week, he said, Let no one cheat you of your reward and taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. The word worship there is exactly the same word translated religion in Acts 26 and James chapter 2, or James chapter 1. You mean there's a religion of angels? The worship, the devotion to angels? Yes. Now, let's go back and look at that again. Paul says that this is a self-imposed religion, the way the New King James translated. If you're looking at your King James, you'll notice the words will worship being there. Literally, if you translate the word, it means a religion of my own will or my own desires. It's my religion. My rules, my regulations. Now do you, do you start seeing a picture develop here as Paul talks about spirituality? Am I going to let it be the rudiments of the world? Am I going to let it be the regulations of other men? Or is it going to be a religion of myself, of my own will? Too many people have failed to understand that religion is not about us. It's about God. I hope you didn't come here today for you. I hope you get something out of it. But I hope you, hope you came here to worship God. Because really this, all, this religion, our spirituality is not about me. It's not about you. 
It's about God and how well we serve Him. Listen to Zechariah chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. The children of Israel have returned from the Babylonian captivity and they're standing there before God and God said to them in verse 5, Say to the people of the land and to the priest, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months during those 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you eat and when you drink, did you not or do you not eat and drink for yourselves? God looked at them and said, when you were there mourning during those 70 years, who were you sad for? Yourselves? Or that you had violated God's law? Who are you here for? Yourself? Or for God? You're here for yourself, and it's the religion of self. You'll do whatever you want to do. And if it's what God has said, okay. But if it's what God has said, contrary, then you're going to do what you want to do. Then that's the religion of the will. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, he talks about those who have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers. What kind of teachers? Teachers who will teach them what they want to hear. A self-made religion with self-made regulations will not save anyone. And this is a serious warning about denominations. You know, sometimes I think we may have been too soft in condemning what is taking place in this world, man-made religions. Where man decides what the rules are, they're going to vote on them. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stands and wake in vain. Matthew 15.13, same context of doctrines, commandments of men. Jesus said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Now go back to those initial questions as I bring this to a close. How does your religion measure up? Are you more spiritual than you were last year? How do you measure these things? I don't know if it's caused you to think a little bit more focused or not, but that's what the purpose of this lesson is, to say, let's don't have a false standard of spirituality. Let's make sure that our religion... Our spirituality is based upon serving God, not the world, not other men, not ourselves, but on serving God. Because God is the only arbiter of our faith. Romans 14.4 says that who are you to judge another man's servant? As if you are the judge. I am not the judge, neither are you. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commands. Nobody else is the judge. I'm not the judge of myself. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Folks, here's the bottom line of this. Either you're right with the Lord or you're not right. Either you are saved or you are not saved. And you know that yourself. And you can make a difference in your life this morning 
by submitting yourselves to the will of God. If you've not yet become a Christian, you need to believe that Jesus is Christ, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him and be baptized. And if you have done that, and you're not walking with the Lord today, now's the time for you to be restored. When we sing this invitation song, if you need to respond, would you come as we now stand?